0: This is David Rovix, and you are tuned to 3CR, 8.55am, Melbourne, Australia.
1: Step three is finding there's a tactic when everyone believes it could be true, that if all the people work collectively, there just might be something we can do, and everything can change.
2: Welcome to the Climate Action Show. My name is Vivian Langford, and salut babette. Andy and I would like to pay our respects to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation from whose land we are broadcasting at 3CR and the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation where we can be heard at Radio Skid Row. The most enormous climate action is taking place right now in Brazil. Despite the risks of COVID, over 5,000 Indigenous people came from the Amazon jungle to Brasilia. They called it the Rise for the Earth and the Indigenous Spring. In a minute, we'll talk to activists from Brazil, but first I'd like to read a few words from the People's Manifesto. Here it is. In memory of our ancestors who gave us their lives so we can exist, in memory of the enchanted spirits who brought us here to continue their struggle, Our fight is not just to preserve the lives of our peoples, but the entire humanity. Today, it's seriously threatened by the policy of extermination and devastation of mother nature, promoted by economic elites and by governors like the genocidal Jair Bolsonaro. We are the children of the earth, and the earth is not ours. We are the ones who are part of it. It is the uterus that generates us and the arms that welcome us. That's why we give her our life. In our tradition, there has never been this issue of regulating who owns the land or not, as our relationship with it was never of possession. According to the most recent data from the United Nations Panel on Climate Change, there is an undeniable increase in the planet's temperature floods and other environmental disasters obviously caused by this development model supported by our ancestry and the power of our people our spirituality and the strength of our enchanted spirits who cherish good life we call the national and international societies especially the social movements that have always been with us to remain vigilant and mobilise in defence of our rights. That was a manifesto of the people who arrived in Brasilia last month to protect the Amazon. They don't want to be called protesters, they are protectors. This is episode three of our series on the road to Glasgow, where the most momentous climate conference will be held in November. Tonight we're going to Brazil, where their emissions don't come from coal, oil or gas so much. They have 70% hydropower, but the deforestation is causing havoc with the climate. First, we'll hear from Anne Alencar. She's a geographer from IPAM, Amazonia, and she'll talk about the Indigenous people and how they are protecting the forest. Then, Perry Diaz from 350.org Latin America speaks about how the Amazon is being opened up for oil and coal. As the eyes of the world on the Glasgow Climate Conference, we ask, how will Indigenous people be heard? They are protecting the lungs of the earth. The music will be in Portuguese, but it brings to you the voices of Indigenous young people who say, the Indian is strong, and we are the guardians of the forest. Um, Dr. Anne Alencar is Director of Science at IPAM Amazonia. She's a geographer, and she will be going to the Climate Conference in Glasgow. Welcome, Anne, and thank you for taking to, talking to us from Brazil. I wonder, does this feel like a historic moment for the Amazon as we become so desperate about climate change? Yes, I mean definitely. The Amazon uh, is
0: in the center, one of the important elements that uh, uh, can can uh, help to avoid climate change. Vivian, the Amazon is a very important vital organ to the planet Earth. I mean it provides several ecosystem services including holding carbon fighting deforestation fighting amazon deforestation is one very important issues for issue for brazilians and also for the world and and so is this is what brazil should be taken as number one priority to the COP26.
2: In Australia, we are ashamed of our government because we export coal and gas and we will be going to COP with a very low offer. You know, we're not offering much to the world's climate. And I think Brazil doesn't have a big, you have a lot of hydropower. So the main problem for Brazil is the emissions from the land clearing and the fires. And what will your government say at Glasgow? Will they promise anything? Well,
0: uh, our government hasn't been very transparent on what uh, they are going to say, but what we have heard from our uh, president, for example, including his own uh, UN speech, was that he is solving the problem of deforestation. And that is not true. In fact... Deforestation itself is responsible for 44% of our uh, emissions in in Brazil. And if we add 28% more, we will aggregate agriculture emissions. So more than 70% of our emissions are related to land use, but I don't think our current government is going to actually focus on what is needed to be focused, zero deforestation in the Amazon.
2: Well, I'd like some more precision about the science here. Australian listeners know how forest fires are made much worse by logging and land clearing. And we've had massive fires in the last summer. It was called the Black Summer, where a huge amount of the Australian forests were burned. And mostly in the areas where there had been logging, you know, where the intensive logging. And also, we know it's all made worse by climate change, drying the land and changing the rainfall. But the Amazon forest is a gigantic wet ecosystem. And I wonder now: can you explain how can parts of it now be emitting more carbon than it can absorb? I'm, I'm going to start using your
0: sentence. The Amazon is a humid uh, forest, it's a rainforest, Mm -hmm. and if there would be any human being in the the forest, probably it wouldn't burn. So how come a forest area, ecosystem that shouldn't burn, it burns 41% of the Brazilian area burn? One simple answer, you know. It's because people are burning the Amazon. So the Amazon naturally doesn't burn, but <laughs> people are burning the Amazon. So, And this is a very important concept. It's totally different from uh, what the, for, the forests that you have in Australia. Because in Australia, somehow fire is part of your ecosystem naturally. Uh, We have environment ecosystems in Brazil as well, like the savannas, like the Cerrado, which is a savanna that we have in Brazil, that fire is also part of that ecosystem. But the Amazon forest, fire Mm -hmm. is not part of that ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So uh, we are breaking the uh, ability of the forest to resist the fires. Mm -hmm. And how we are doing that? We, by fragmenting the forest, when the forest, a piece of forest is deforested, all the border of that forest uh, gets susceptible to fire, gets weak in a way, mm. because it gets more windy, um, uh, more hotter temperatures, for example... So that changed the composition of the first meters of the forest. Mm-hmm. So when a, pe- a person uh, is going to burn the that area that is recent the forest, yes. that fire escape and enters in the forest. But if it's a very dry year, as we are having because of climate change, we are having more frequent and extreme drought events affecting the amazon so the amazon forest is changing its ability to
2: hold these
0: fires from agriculture
2: i tell everyone this when i was very young i went to amazonas i went in the boat right along the amazon and you know that there was no trans-amazonic highway that hadn't been built And it's a long time ago, but I think that opening up of the forest, nobody realizes what a global catastrophe that is. It's brought a lot of small farmers and ranchers and a lot of wealth for people, but an international wealth, of course, as well. But um, you couldn't go down the rivers because they were protecting Indigenous people. And I'd like to Talk now about the role of Indigenous people to protect that land. We saw in the news here 5,000 people came down to Brasilia. That's very brave because COVID is still around. They could be very catching, easy to catch that. And I read their manifesto and they said that they are threatened by genocidal, you know, government policies. And I want to know how will their voice be heard on the world stage? It seems you know if uh, Bolsonaro represents you he's not going to be representing them at Glasgow so how will their voice be heard?
0: I guess the indigenous peoples are uh, are very aware of of what this government can do with them and they are uh, very organized which is a very good thing. And so there are environmental, the environmental movements, the social movements, the society in general, I think, is supporting the pledge of indigenous groups in Brazil. And they have a very genuine pledge, which is the territorial pledge. I mean, without the territory, they, they are nothing. Because it kind of it kind of without your territories, without your home, you lose everything. <laughs> they, are, they are they have different ways of dealing with our daily life. Now in the government, there are legislations that will allow mining inside indigenous territories, for example, or legislation that wants to reveal the demarcation of indigenous lands. So, and those are really bad for indigenous peoples. The indigenous peoples will do for themselves. They probably will go to Glasgow and the social movements and the environmental movement will uh, support them in this pledge.
2: Will they be heard in some really public forum? Is there some forum within Glasgow for them to be heard? Because it's so urgent. I mean, I don't know how long Bolsonaro will last and that type of government, but you need uh, somebody to represent them. I I think my understanding is that the Indigenous people are the protectors of that land. If they are in place, then you don't have all of this um, fragmentation that you're talking about.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, Indigenous territories in the Amazon right now represent one-fourth of the uh, area, territorial Mm -hmm. area of the Amazon. So it's a lot. And they do give are very important ecological services to uh, to to the society in general, mm-hmm. to the Brazilian society, to the even to the agriculture people. You mm-hmm. know, because I mean, uh, protecting forests, you are protecting basically the the uh, water, the rainfall. You know, yeah. The indigenous groups of the entire world that will meet at the COP, they. They have their own meeting space and I think the pledges of the caucus are, are presented to the, to the General Assembly.
2: We have the same problem here. A lot of our indigenous people are on the front line of gas fracking, on the front line of new coal mines. And, you know, our government's not going to represent them because they want to keep going with the export. But look, I I noticed you represent IPAM Amazonia and there's something called Amazonia and it's a project that shows how the preservation of the forest is done by indigenous cultural practice. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because it seems very exotic to us. But what, what is all that cultural practice? Well, some of the examples, uh, indigenous groups,
0: they are very connected with nature. Some of them use the fire in areas that have savannas, for example you know areas that you should burn from time to time but they use the fire in the the right moment <laughs> in the moment that this fire doesn't become catastrophic they have uh, all types of uh, elements in their culture for example there's a women festival in one of the tribes there during this festival only during this festival they can hunt a guri uh, is is like turtles Tortoise. Oh. Only during that, one, once a year, they go to the forest to, to hunt these turtles. But after they uh, give birth and they are and they only get catch the biggest ones and you know so there is all there is a type of management <coughs> that is implicit to their culture. And because they do that only once a year, they don't get the smaller babies or the small, the, the juvenile species. They can have food for next year, for the next festival. And they use some bio indicators. For example, when some species of tree, which is YP, but when this specific type of tree flowers. So if it flowers, you can wait. Two weeks after that is going to rain, so they can burn at that time, and the rain comes, and and then they will have fertile soil. So this is like a, a some simple examples of the connection between indigenous peoples and nature. Yeah. So yeah. they they are, they know the <laughs> elements. They they know how to interact with them,
2: and how to interact in a way that they won't be out of food. Indigenous science that's been passed down for thousands of years, I would think. And, you know, that's to be respected when I think now the world is very receptive to this. I think we suddenly are desperate about climate change. We can see this big earth science. It's all connected. And your Amazon is, if it's not sequestering the carbon and it's emitting, it's a disaster. Same as Australia, you know, we are destroying our barrier reef, for example, coral reef, you know, we have to get on top of it. And I'm wondering, just the last question, what are you going to be doing at Glasgow? It's a huge conference. What are you hoping to achieve there?
0: First of all, we are going to Glasgow to highlight the importance of our government to commit with reducing deforestation. Because it's not only about deforestation, it's about forest degradation as well. Mm -hmm. Because the Amazon forest, as I said before, it's not uh, used to be burned. And the fires that we have in our forest, there are man made fires in a way, are different from, for example, Australian fires, where, where, where you have crown fires isn't it yes. you have crown fires there. we don't yeah. have crown fires in the amazon forest we have like surface fires yeah uh, understory yeah. fires they burn very slow and mm-hmm. imagine yourself having a very thin like you as a tree and mm-hmm. have a very thin uh, skin with a very slow fire and not very intense but very slow It you be more time in contact with your skin and you're gonna die. Yeah. So, this is what the trees are facing in the Amazon, yeah. and this is
2: causing degradation, and degradation also emits. Yeah. CO2. I'm sure you'll have many people in sympathy in Glasgow from the world, because this is happening in other countries. It's just that Brazil, Amazonia is such a big object you know, that we worry about. And I hope you meet many people there. Are you going to network with people and... Yeah, it's a moment where we can meet with
0: others, other environmentalists and scientists Mm -hmm. from other countries that also have tropical forests. And we can talk about the importance of forests and how we can be there present saying that forests do matter, kind of press our governments to understand that forests do
2: matter. Oh, well, pressing governments. This is the hard part. Look, I hope we can talk to you again when you are in Glasgow and you can tell us how it's going. It's such an important conference. Sure. Thank you very much. Thank you.
3: When you compare an old growth forest compared to a forest which is regrowing after a disturbance like logging, they're actually quite different ecosystems. Melhor. Renasce das cinzas de povos que deram suor Pra viver em paz hoje em dia tá sendo um B.O Políticos me matam usando a caneta Essas linhas passadas hoje de o cor. Cidicó Meu coroa me afasta pra ti não importa da... Temos pretos pra resistir Quantos dias for preciso Mas aqui a tenda não vai mexer Um graveto sequer Eu nasci, renasço na cena, mas volto melhor nasce das cinzas de povos que deram suor Pra viver em paz hoje em dia tá sendo um B.O Políticos me matam usando a caneta Essas linhas passadas hoje de o Cidicó Coro me arrasa pra ti não importa, é distância de assumir. Silêncio eu vi onde eu
0: vivi. Não quero ouvir. O silêncio gritar, essa terra aqui
2: is from 350.org in Latin America and he's speaking to us now from Lisbon. Welcome Perry, what's it like where you are today?
5: Thank you Vivian. Well um, I really like being here in Lisbon but I still work for Latin America for 350 so I'm very much connected to what is happening in Latin America and specifically in Brazil. And although the situation here in Portugal is really good in terms of COVID and in terms of you know, development in general. Uh, uh, we are really concerned about how things are going in Brazil, especially yeah. with indigenous peoples and the expansion of the fossil fuels in Brazil. These are very, very big concerns for us at 350 as COP26 approaches.
2: Yeah, well, that's why I've invited you to speak. Recently, 350.org people had an underwater protest off the east coast of Brazil. I saw the photos and I'd like to know what did that have to do with climate change?
5: Sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you saw the photos because our our goal was exactly to um, highlight how important these areas uh, are to the marine life and to Brazil in general. So what is happening is that the Brazilian government is doing constant auctions of permits for exploration of oil and gas in several areas of the country and this includes offshore exploration uh, which may damage some of the most uh, important conservation areas and some of the areas that are essential for uh, the fishing activity in Brazil. So this would affect not only nature itself which is already a tremendous reason not to explore oil and gas in these areas, but also the communities that live on the coast, that depend on fishing, depend on tourism. If, for example, we see leaks, as have been happening around the world uh, in the offshore uh, exploration in Brazil, these communities will probably lose their, their livelihoods and they will be even more vulnerable than they are now. So our we organized a protest recently to stand up against that and to say, these communities cannot be more affected, it's not fair, we have to be fair. And uh, this is what we stood for.
2: Well, I read that in um, Ecuador, there's an area the size of Texas that's under exploration um, and some exploitation already extraction. What's the scale of this sort of mining in the Amazon region or the... Yeah, so yeah, it is important
5: that you mentioned Ecuador because Ecuador is a great example of the, the damages that oil and gas may provoke, may cause in the Amazon. Um, there is uh, a well-known case in, uh, in Ecuador um, in which uh, indigenous peoples have been uh, fighting in the justice to have uh, their rights to their lands and the damages that oil companies provoke. For many years, they actually had um, a recognition from uh, the justice in Ecuador of mm. these impacts, um, but they are still fighting for um, the just reparations for that. Mm. Um, there were very uh, significant leaks of oil, for example, in the rivers of Ecuador that affected hundreds of indigenous families. Even during COVID, there were smaller leaks. Um, that affected families and polluted the water, contaminated the water that they were using not only to you know in their daily uh, in their daily lives, but that were essential for them to prevent uh, the spread yeah. of COVID. So you can imagine how how impactful this is. Yeah. Um, so Ecuador is an example of what we do not want to happen in Brazil. So far in Brazil, um, the scale of the effects of oil and gas is still smaller. We didn't we didn't see uh, a leak in these proportions yeah. that we saw in, in Ecuador, for example. but what is happening is that the brazilian government is desperate to auction the oil and gas areas before it's too late we see that the brazilian government wants to uh, take advantage of this very short window of opportunity that they have to auction uh, everything they can all the areas that they can to explore oil and gas and this includes areas in the amazon and our concern is if they start to do this especially if they do this in a hurry, without all the impact studies, without actually listening to the indigenous communities and consulting Mm -hmm. them in in an adequate way, our concern is that this kind of accident and this kind of uh, consequence may happen there as well. Not only the leaks, but as we mentioned, other consequences such as the increase in deforestation and the arrival of communities, of, of more people to the indigenous communities and these communities will not be prepared to receive or to be close to these areas. So this is our concern. Although the scale of uh, the impact of oil and gas in Brazil are not as big as they are in other countries, our concern is that this may be to happen if we continue to allow, or if we allow that Bolsonaro and the Brazilian government continue to uh, do these auctions in Brazil.
2: Okay. Yes, this is very familiar to Australian listeners because we have the same thing, this small window of opportunity when they want to frack all the gas, get out all the coal before it's becoming a stranded asset. Let's hope Glasgow will put so much pressure on the coal and gas and oil company. I don't know anything about Brazil's energy system. Is it based on coal-fired power? And also you do have coal there. Is that for export uh, from Brazil?
5: Well, most of the energy in Brazil comes from hydropower. Um, This makes our energy system um, quite clean from the perspective of emissions, Um, but there are also environmental problems associated to hydropower, right? Even in indigenous lands as well. Um, But what is happening right now is that um, because of the climate change, Um, hydropower is not working as well as it used to because the patterns of rain have changed. So right now Brazil is going through uh, an energy crisis, for example, and the Brazilian government is trying to solve that um, by working with um, other forms of thermoelectrics, for example, uh, other forms of energy. and many of these um, of his, uh, power plants are utilize coal or utilize uh, gas. Actually, most of them utilize gas for uh, for running. So what is happening now is that Brazil is uh, leading towards or is uh, leaning towards a dirtier uh, pers- a dirtier uh, energy system. And our percentage of clean energy is getting smaller because of these changes. We do, we do have coal in Brazil. We do have uh, important coal uh, mines and an important coal production, um, especially in the southern part, in the most southern states. Um, and this is very harmful for communities around. Uh, it creates a lot of health Problems. Yeah. Uh, there's an issue also of pollution and contamination of oil and I'm sorry of uh, water and soil. Yeah. Um, and we see that in one of the largest cities of Brazil, Porto Alegre, near mm-hmm. the city, there's a project of installing a big uh, coal mine. And 350 is standing against against that and supporting local organizations that are standing against that because we do not want more of this harm to spread. Ah. Uh, So So it's important to stop that.
2: So what's the status of renewable energy like solar power and wind power? I know in Chile, they're very advanced on that. I don't know other countries, but I think Chile is quite big on solar and wind power. What about Brazil?
5: Yeah, solar and wind are growing uh, in a very fast pace, actually, uh, in Brazil. Especially um, solar, and we uh, we do have, and and wind also represents to an important percentage of our uh, generation. We do have um, uh, some factories actually producing machines, producing the equipment necessary for uh, solar and wind. Mm -hmm. So there is a growing industry for solar and wind um it represents already um, a considerable percentage if I'm not mistaken about 15 or 10 to 15 percent uh come from both of these uh, energies um but we still need to grow much more we, we can't depend on coal and and gas most many people think gas is cleaner uh, we even hear the, the expression gas is a transition form of energy. Mm. Absolutely not. Gas is a fossil fuel. Gas Mm. uh, produces a lot of emissions as well. So we cannot rely on gas to to supply the energy we need. And this is why wind and solar need to grow even more in Brazil.
2: I went to the Amazon when I was very young. It's a long time ago. Wow. (laughs) And it was dense jungle on either side of the river. And sometimes the river was so wide, you could hardly see the other side and we slept in hammocks on the deck of the boat and we were told that the indigenous people were protected by funai and i heard a lot about funai i read about them And so we couldn't go down, for example, the Chingu River. And they said, well, you know, if you might have an influenza and those people would catch it, they would die. And we understood straight away that those people were protected. And I thought, oh, this is great. Brazil is doing this. But after that, a lot of things happened. And I, you know, since the 70s, a huge amount has happened in Brazil. But your constitution guarantees Indigenous territories. And I've wondered what happened so that now... I hear that the Amazon parts of it are actually emitting more carbon dioxide than they can absorb. So that Amazon lungs of the world is becoming a net emitter. This is drastic. So what happened?
5: Sure, Vivian. Yeah. As you mentioned, Amazon is essential to the entire world uh, because, even because also because of the climate crisis, right? If we do not stop deforestation, if we do not protect the Amazon forest, There will be no way that we will solve the climate crisis because of all the carbon that it uh, stocks and because of how the Amazon regulates the climate worldwide, especially in Latin America and South America. Um, And and indigenous peoples are essential to preserve, to save the Amazon because they are the best guardians. As everyone knows, many studies have already proved that indigenous lands are more conserved than any other type of land in Brazil. Um, So they are essential. What is happening to FUNAI and other um, government agencies and uh, institutions that are essential to conserve the forest is that um, the current government, the Bolsonaro government, has a deliberate policy to, um, in a way, dismantle these institutions, these organizations, these agencies. And FUNAI is a great example of that. They didn't need to put an end to Funai. They didn't need to make Funai officially uh, come to an end to actually dismantle Funai. And they do that. The government does that by reducing their funds, for example, or by putting pressure to the the people who work there by, you know, punishing those who do the right thing, yeah. or by um, choosing leaders appointing leaders that are not actually committed to the work that FUNAI does so this is what this government has done so there was a shift in the priority there was a shift in the view and the vision that the government has of what it what the Amazon means to the country and this led to a number of actions that dismantled FUNAI so this is why Brazil is not protecting its indigenous peoples anymore the way it used to
2: what did you think of that about that big gathering in brasilia just last month i read their manifesto and it was so wonderful it was so different they said we do not own the earth we do not own territory we are part of it we are part of mother nature and it's the same way as indigenous people in australia talk they don't want to possess the rivers and the territory they want to be custodians of it and to protect it so it's a different way of thinking and i can't imagine any of those people Going to Glasgow and being understood because it's another whole worldview. It's not about owning and having legal protections and all of that. It's about being part of something. But how how big is the sympathy for that in Brazil and the support for that in civil society?
5: Brazil is such a, a complex society. So I see there there is a considerable part of the Brazilian society that supports indigenous peoples, that supports their views, their world views, and that agrees. Uh, Mm. that um, this is one of the most important contributions from traditional peoples to the the world where we live now, you know, this view that you mentioned that we are nature, we're not only living in nature, we are nature. Um, This view is crucial for us to um, be able to you know, solve the climate crisis and start to build a new a new system. Start to build a new type of society uh, in which we will live in harmony, or at least with more harmony with the nature. Okay. There is a number of there is a number of uh, important campaigns to draw the attention of the Brazilian society to the rights of the indigenous peoples. And what is important to mention is that indigenous peoples are. Um, actually in the front of these movements, uh, they are the protagonists of uh, this kind of uh, of mobilization. This is what yeah. brings you know, legitimacy and what brings um, strength to this kind of movement, the fact that they are actually very much the leaders of these mobilizations. Yeah. On the other hand, we do see that there is still, uh, you know, a portion of the Brazilian society that does not believe that uh, indigenous peoples need all that much land. There is a very well-known phrase that there are too many lands for too few indigenous peoples, which is absolutely not true. It's very wrong, actually, because if you look at the You know, the lands that indigenous peoples have, it's actually much less than what would be their rights. Even by the Brazilian constitution, there's still a number of indigenous lands that need to be officially recognized. So it is not true. And also from the environmental perspective, the indigenous lands are the most well-conserved areas in the Amazon in Brazil
2: it's beneficial for all of us like it's a world thing that's i one wondering if civil society like 350.org and Greenpeace I don't know there's many many organizations who will know about the Amazon who will go to Glasgow and support and I'm just hoping that this thing turns around because of global concern for climate change that that we need brazil's amazon we need australia's forests too we need as much as we we need the forest to stay there as much as we need the gas and coal to stay in the ground so is that do you think are you confident that in glasgow there is going to be a big representation of of what's happening in the amazon
5: vivian i am not confident with that because i believe that even though we do have Strong indigenous leaders. And although we do have very important indigenous organizations in Brazil, such as APIB and COIAB, which are two really crucial organizations for the indigenous peoples. And although we will have representation from indigenous leaders from the Amazon and from Brazil in general at COP26, this is not enough. I think there should be more representation Cops in general should have more spaces for the participation of civil society, yeah. and not to mention politicians across the world. They are still not listening. You know, yeah. we see we see mobilizations everywhere. We see uh, youth climate mobilizations gaining traction in mm-hmm. so many countries, and still we do not see as much action as we would like to see. Yeah. So we we know that there will be participation from indigenous peoples at COP twenty six but there should be more and there should be more spaces for them.
2: Right. Well, COP26 is not the end of the world, but you know it's not the last thing. There's plenty more and we work around the year, all of us, don't we, to make this happen. Yeah. What, what is your main hope for this uh, conference in Glasgow?
5: I think at first, I hope that despite all the difficulties you participate in COP26 because of the pandemic, because of the cost of traveling to Glasgow, Despite all that, I hope the indigenous peoples will be present and will be heard by the representatives of the governments and of companies there. I know this sounds naive, it's Mm. not likely to happen because I know many governments are still pretending that uh, indigenous peoples do not exist. This is real for Brazil and I know for other countries as well. Um, But I this is what I really would hope that happened and also I think speaking in broader terms I would like the politicians that are in COP to incorporate the view that indigenous peoples have of nature what you mentioned before Vivian is really important how indigenous peoples uh, consider themselves part of the nature they're not separated from what the environment is once most of us or at least our politicians begin to understand that, I think uh, our, our actions and our policies will radically change. And this is what we need. We need systemic change. We need politicians to act now and the civil society will, will make their you know its voices heard, but it's taking longer than we would like to. This is why we have to be even, even more present at every cop and at every space we have
2: yeah well i'm sure every listener in australia will know exactly how you're feeling and will agree with that we we have the same experience here similar you anyway, know thank you yeah, very much mm. no, thank
5: you thank you vivian it's been a we've pleasure. been talking
2: to perry diaz he's from 350.org in latin america and today he's speaking to us from lisbon bye-bye perry thank you very much thank you
5: Vivian, very much
0: I'm from the Lakota Nation in the geographical center of North America that we call Turtle Island. And community radio is about your community, your heart, which 3CR community radio is, right here at 85.5 a.m. So it is digital, and I'm I'm presuming you can can go worldwide with it. Um, People are listening in America to you, so talk back. Australia to the earth. Peace with earth. Thank you. The Oaks and Ghost Horse. Community radio is your love.
2: We're going to hear some practical action you can do, listeners. There's a big campaign on called Don't Nab Our Future. And all it requires is for you to have a telephone. It's a phone storm campaign. You can also, if you're not in lockdown, you can do it in person by going to a nab Branch that's the National Australia Bank and the idea is to meet some of the employees not necessarily the manager and try to engage them in a conversation about the National Australia Bank's policy on investing in fossil fuel projects. So Jenna and Liz are here with me from Extinction Rebellion. What, what's wrong with NAB's policy so far? Okay where to begin?
1: The big stat that we are aware of around the NAB investment in fossil fuels is that in the last five years they have spent seven billion on lending to fossil fuel projects across australia this is um not unusual i mean all the banks spend a lot, lend a lot of money to fossil fuel projects but nab is in the process of creating its new oil and gas policy and so we think it's a really good time to target nab in terms of what that policy is going to contain <laughs> Hi, my name is Alex. Sorry to disturb you, I'm giving you a quick call today as one of many people becoming increasingly concerned about global warming and in particular the bank's role in lending to fossil fuel projects. As a NAB employee I'm hoping to speak to you about NAB's soon to be released oil and gas policy. Sorry, who are you? My name is Alex and I support a number of climate action groups. Myself and many others in Australia are trying to influence the investment practices of banks and the NAB in particular, given it's not too great record on fossil fuel investments.
4: Why are you calling me? Have you heard about Don't NAB Our Future campaign? Yeah, I have heard about it from other colleagues as well, but I don't really know about it. Well, we believe most people have
1: concerns about climate change, and we're encouraging staff like yourself to voice their concerns to their colleagues and managers with the intention that the decision makers within NAB hear the concerns of their staff. Don't NAB our future is calling NAB out, asking them to stop helping fossil fuels companies engage in polluting
4: industries that are destroying ecosystems and our kids' futures. Okay, but this really isn't my area. I have just no say what NAB does. I... I... I just work in IT.
1: Yeah, okay, I understand. But do you agree that it's important for staff like yourself to know about NAB's policy on climate change and also have some way of expressing your
4: concerns about our future? Sure, I would like to express my ideas, but I don't really know what I can do about it. I have no influence. Um, I've always thought NAB actually was pretty good with the environment. The website looks like a leader in caring about the environment. We invest in lots of renewables. so. From an IT, it looks really good. All our workplaces have environment committees. We make sure we're recycling, using less paper. We feel we're pretty onto it. Look, I agree that NAB is taking some steps
1: and has invested in renewables. However, what they do not make clear on your website is that NAB has spent 7 billion to fossil fuel companies in the last five years. The International Energy Agency, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and even recently former NAB Chief Economist Ron Henderson have all called for an an immediate end to new fossil fuel funding. These issues are much bigger than keeping offices environmentally friendly.
4: Yeah, I hear what you're saying, but I still, I don't know what I can do about it. I'm sorry, I actually have to go to a meeting. Yeah, I understand, but just before you go,
1: there is actually a lot you can do. Can I just take a few more minutes of your time and speak to you about some very simple actions you can take that could make a really big difference? Uh, Yeah, but please, can you make it a little bit quick? Yeah, I will. Could you say to your manager, do you know if Nab will stop funding new fossil fuel projects under the new oil and gas policy?
4: I guess I could ask. I'm not sure. How would that make a difference? I'm not sure what my manager would do. I do care. I know my kids are talking a lot about climate change and I hear it on the news and, like, the bushfires made me really worry about the future. So it was really distressing. So, And I do care. I, I don't want you to think that, I don't care, I'm just, why do you think those questions will make a difference?
1: Yeah, I, I do, because letting your manager know you care about what NAB is doing uh, in relation to climate change, it'll filter up to senior management, particularly if a number of people in your office ask about it. Do you think you could also start a conversation with your colleagues about climate change and what NAB's doing? I can send you some information that would help you get conversation started. Would you be willing to talk to your um, colleagues
4: and and then your managers? Yeah, I would like more information. That would be okay. We do have a team building uh, meeting coming up. I guess I could ask people if they're aware of what NAB's doing about climate change and see what people say. If you send me some information, perhaps I can get others interested. Maybe if a few of us got together and brought it up with a manager, that would be easier for me. I see what your, your intention is here.
1: Yeah, so maybe just start the conversation with some other people in your office you think will be receptive. Many people do care. They just feel powerless. Um, They don't know what to do. So just by starting up the conversations, that's doing something. It's actually doing a whole lot. So I'll send you some information. Do you have an intranet or place that NAB staff talk to each other? Yeah, we have a NAB Facebook. So what about putting something up there? You could put what I send you up or or just take what you want and post it. That would really get people talking. So don't underestimate the difference you can make. Managers care about what staff are talking about and they pass issues up the line to decision makers. And there's um, one more thing um, to involve um, your union is also something that you could do if you you belong. You could ask them... um, to ask the nab executive if they can brief staff
4: on the new oil and gas policy Nab staff are stakeholders so it's a very reasonable request Mm, i'm not in the union but i know some who are so i could ask them to do that um yeah i appreciate i think that there's a lot of people actually who are caring about climate change amongst the staff so yeah that's helpful yeah That's really, really
1: good. There's just one more thing and that is that there is an anonymous staff survey that you can do which will be collated and reported back to senior NAB management. This is something that you might also be able to do. So can I send that through to you? Mm.
4: Sure. Alright.
1: Okay, so I'll send you a link to that info on the NAB. Uh, and and climate emergency that we talked about earlier, and you can um, share that with others. Mm-hmm. You know, these things make a, lot, a huge difference. They may seem small, but they're not, and we're contacting lots of NAB staff, so there will be a groundswell the NAB policymakers hear loud and clear. So I really want to say thanks for being part
4: of that. Yeah, I have some friends who have been run up by you already, so... Yeah, thank you. It's been good to talk. Thanks for your time.
1: Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye.
4: Bye.
1: because we've been in lockdown recently, it's a lot of the things that that um, Extinction Rebellion would usually be doing. It's been quite hard um, because of that. But particularly in the the regions where the lockdowns haven't haven't really occurred so much, there has been a lot of creative. Uh, campaigns being done at the local NAB branches. So we've had um, rebels go into the local branches and ask to speak to the manager and uh, and have these conversations about what NAB is doing, in, in particular in relation to the new fossil fuel policy. Uh, we've had people chalking outside the NAB branches and um, singing outside the NAB branches. Um, you know, dressed up in in XR kind of exciting
4: gear and uh but also Jenna they're on the nab um don't nab our future website is a whole kit of um sample conversations of posters and leaflets that you can print out and hand out to people as they come into the bank and not all of the, the people who are taking up the nab actions are active members of XR. They're often people who just want to do something about climate change. So there is a range of people, like, you know, 350.org is also doing um, NAB pressure on mm. on the, online. So it's not just XR. And mm. I think that's a lovely thing that, you know, it's really anyone who just wants to do a little bit for climate change, there's all the resources on the website. Mm. You don't have to sign up to XR mm. to do that. Yeah. Um, so it's very open and very warm like that. Fantastic. Mm. Thank you very
2: much. So we've been talking to Liz and Jenna from Extinction Rebellion. Tonight, we've been hearing from Indigenous frontlines of climate change, but now we're going to the corrupted part of our democracy. On Thursday, 21st of October at 6.30, you can go to an online Q&A event about a new film called Big Deal, which screens tomorrow on ABC TV at 8.30, so with us is Greens candidate for jelly brand, Suzette Rodereda. Welcome, Suzette. Would you tell us about the Q&A?
3: Yeah, thank you, Vivian. Look, we thought that the theme of this documentary, uh, that is the fact that, a, that large political donations have the potential to compromise the decisions of a political party, is such an important topic for people to be aware of in the lead up to a federal election so we decided to host this q and a and we've invited the film's director craig rookcastle of the chaser fame to be a part of our panel along with our federal senator janet rice and, and state mp ellen sandell and we really hope that they can address people's questions on this topic and let people know why why they should care about this issue and how it affects the decisions governments make. So as as you said, Vivian, um, people can join us on Thursday, the 21st of October at 6.30pm on Zoom. And it is a fundraiser for our campaign. So tickets can be purchased from the Greens events website.
2: As this is the climate action show, we're very keen to focus on fossil fuel donations. The film has a lot to say about other types of corruption, like the gun lobby, which I was very shocked to hear. And, you know, there are other lobby groups that are just bustling around in Canberra and gaining influence and gaining access to politicians, but donations from fossil fuels have just, I think, distorted our democracy. And now that climate change is so pressing, we have to somehow get them out. And I want to know what Greens policies do you think, Suzette, would prevent their having such an influence on our parliament?
3: I don't know if you know, but the Greens are the only party who have made it clear that we need to phase out coal and gas by 2030. 2050 is just too late. And the Greens also don't take dirty donations. That is, we don't take donations from coal and gas companies, unlike the Liberal, Nationals and Labor parties. So you know we haven't been compromised by these vested interests. And our policies are all designed from principles such as ecological sustainability and social and economic justice. And so they're policies that will have a positive impact on people's lives and health and the health of our environment.
2: But how can you get these people to stop Donating. I mean, it's not a question of brown paper bags being passed under the table. These are on a register. But beyond that, as the film shows, there's all sorts of lunches where people pay $100,000 to sit next to you. If you're a member of parliament, you'll have these people sitting next to you, getting in your ear about their project. How can that be stopped?
3: The Greens um, at a state level have advocated for um, donation caps. And also the the interesting thing about the um, brown paper bag is um, something we're investigating now is also donation spend caps, spending caps. So, for example, um, someone could get past a a brown paper bag and, and no one would ever know that that cash has changed hands. But if we have a spending cap, then at least they can't spend that money on
2: their campaign yeah well you're a new candidate what's your experience been oh. so far in climate action and climate work which makes you want to get into parliament it's a very brave thing to do
3: so I've I've had a, an extensive period of uh advocation for climate change and what's really close to my heart is species extinction that just breaks my heart Australia's record on species extinction. And that's what's really driven me to get involved in politics, because I haven't been able to make the kind of difference I want to make by being one of those voices on the ground, protesting and, and signing petitions. And all of that is, of course, really important. But it's not enough.
2: Well, look, there's a lot in the film about communities that stand up to fossil fuels. There's one at Bentley. It's famous now. and We've interviewed those people extensively, but they stood up against the gas and they won. So it's lovely to have a victory. But also there things in the film about whole electorates like Indi who are redefining how citizens can participate and listeners you must watch this film tomorrow on ABC at 8 30 it's called Big Deal and you see these communities are starting to say well it's not enough just to vote once every election you just have to be all the time you can all the time be a participant and I'd like to know Suzette how would listeners benefit from joining the Q&A with you on next Thursday and how would it help you but also how would it help them get more active?
3: Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a really good point about that, uh, that um, footage in the film that, that shows all those active communities and it's such an important thing. This is one of the main themes of this film is to get active, get involved in your local political campaign. And, you know, of course, I encourage you to get involved in your local Greens campaign. And, you know, getting active is the best thing your listeners can do to stamp out this kind of corruption in our political system. Because by getting involved, we send a clear message that Australians are not going to tolerate political parties accepting dirty donations anymore. And the single most important thing that you can do is vote for a party or a person who won't take dirty donations. Because remember, your vote is powerful. If just a few hundred people changed their vote, The Greens could be in balance balance of power after the next election. And then we can get to work addressing the climate crisis and stamping out corruption in politics.
2: So listeners, on Thursday the 21st at 6.30, you can join a Zoom conversation, a Q&A, with two members of Parliament and Suzette, who's a candidate for the next election. And this uh, will enable you to talk about corruption, which is all of our responsibility. Even if you're not that mad on climate action and you've done enough, or you're you, you're just jaded by the whole thing, this will revive you because we have to take it on. The, the corruption is absolutely now lethal. So um, oh. thanks very much, Suzette, for talking to us. The film is on tomorrow night at eight thirty on ABC, and the Q and A that you can join live on Zoom is Thursday, the 21st of October. Thank you
3: so much, Vivian. Thanks for your time.
2: Thank you to Viviana Vian and Helena Aragal, who helped me meet Anne Alencar. And thank you very much to Anne for her interview. And I hope we meet her again reporting from Glasgow. Also, thank you to Perry Diaz in Lisbon, Suzette Rodereda in Melbourne, and Liz Newell and Jenna Bateman from Extinction Rebellion in Sydney. My name is Vivian Langford. Good night and good luck.
4: This is cold. Don't be afraid. The Don't treasure. be scared.
2: It's cold. It's cold. It's coal. Tune in every Monday at...